Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, and I'm Kara Swisher. And you sure are, Kara. This is Scott Galloway, <laughs> the Costello to your Abbott, the uh, the Regis to your Kathy Lee. No, you're Kathy the, Lee. The I, I don't know what, in what universe would you not be Kathy Lee and you not be Costello? But let's not go into it. it like, I'm so Maurice Gibb in this staying alive relationship. <laughs> no one knows that. None, none of the young people know that reference. Let's, uh, let's try to genius. make more, more, more. You know, they wrote the Bee Gees wrote when they were shunned from the world for disco. They yeah. they uh, wrote all the songs for Kenny Rogers. Actually, very talented people. I met. I think I met Maurice's son in Miami. I don't know how we're talking about the Bee Gees, but keep going. It's always appropriate to talk about the Bee Gees. It's never it's appropriate. I happen to like the Bee Gees, but not many people do anymore. They're that wonderful. was a, that was in the last century, kids. So in case you want to have a oh, reference, you genius. might enjoy the Saturday uh, Fever soundtrack. It was a very genius. good movie, too, actually. But let, let's move on to more contemporary issues yeah. of trouble. The Woodward interview with Trump. Oh, my God. Oh well, what God. do you think? As a fellow well, journalist, what, what did you think? I there's you know, there was an interesting story in the post about whether he should have said something. Woodward should have said when Trump, you know, here's what I here's what I came with. I, I, we can debate that in a second. Mm-hmm. Trump sounds very intelligent on those on those tapes. Right. He knows yep. what he knows, the science. He understands it. He's mm-hmm. not this oaf, this sort of like person of the people oaf. He's a New York sophisticated elite and he Mm -hmm. understands the repercussions. He understands the problem. Uh, He's appropriately concerned. His stuff Mm -hmm. around Kim Jong is all about his ego, but um, that was what really struck me. So therefore I'm like, you're even worse a person. You know the problem and you absolutely mendacious. You're a mendacious liar with, with, you know, he lied and people died. That's what a lot of people Mm -hmm. are saying. And I agree. Like, this is really, I don't know if it'll do anything to hurt him, but boy, uh, what an astonishing uh, thing to do. What do you think? Yeah, if he'd he'd said, if he'd said, look, we need to play it down to keep America calm. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, we need to behind the scenes, rally the troops and all resources and the full force credit and horsepower of the federal government to attack this. I think he would have come off looking good. Instead, it was like, let's just downplay it. It just. The word downplay is not a good word. And then what feels cooked to me, but in a very strategic and thoughtful way is it feels to me like. I don't call. I don't know. It's the lamestream media, but essentially, if you look at the last two weeks and a lot of the controversy around um, the, the story was that it was delayed. Is that they are every week hitting with some him with something and putting him on his heels, right? And I'd be shocked if in about somewhere the middle or end of next week, just as this story is starting to lose its oxygen, something else comes out from another credible journalist. I think they're just going to hit him every week. And I wouldn't be surprised if we find out post-election that they were coordinating. Oh, no. Come on. That's ridiculous. I've never coordinated with another or media organization. That's insane. That they're not you don't think that's happening? No. No. Thank you, Mr. Like MAGA. Like, that's what they, that, that is a, like a theme. There's anything wrong with that. Uh-huh. We don't coordinate. There's no speaking. In fact, there's well, a lot okay. of competition inside newspapers. Isn't holding, isn't holding the story until well, 60 days before the election coordination? This, there was a really good Margaret Sullivan column about this. And I, I agree that it's, it's definitely worth the discussion. Yeah, he's uh-huh. a book author. He's not, a, he doesn't, he's not a day-to-day reporter at the Washington right. Post. And so right. 
I don't know. Like I, as a person, I couldn't have kept that to myself, right? Ethically speaking, as it, like if if I knew the president knew about mm-hmm. this and lied about it, I would have put it out right away. Like I don't think I could have. I would have been like, wait a minute, he said something that's very pertinent because people can die because right. of his his. PR strategy, essentially. Um, and so I would have said it, he's a, he's a booker. He keeps all his stuff. You know what I mean? I think what's more interesting is his sources. You can tell who his sources are by listening yeah. to it, right? Like oh, really? it's obviously, yeah, because all the generals are sort of described as hard, but soft, you know what yeah. I mean? Like or, yeah. their backs are always ramrods, right? Woodmore is a former military person. He obviously has a great regard for the military. So it's clear it's all the whole bunch of them, you know, that are, that are sort of turning, uh, turning Trump in and presenting the dangers of him. What's interesting is that it also comes with a Michael Cohen um, book, which I think is even more accurate about Trump, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even though he's a, what happens when a liar tells the truth? Like that's mm-hmm. the problem, like a persistent and pernicious and awful, you know, it sort of reminds me of the mob when they turn on each other, right? So he's the lower guy, you know, who mm-hmm. turns on the boss. That's really what's happening there. And so I believe him a lot more and that, especially about racism and some of the other sort of cynicism. And then I've been reading of all things, Melania and me, the Stephanie Walcott Wolf or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. um, which is also very, you know, truthful. Like you, you like, this is, these are people who sort of decided they're going to go all in with people that were awful. And then they get kicked in the teeth by them. And Mm -hmm. I don't reward them. I think it's awful that they're cashing in. But at the same time, there's a sort of like sad, pathetic truth to these stories, and which is essentially a grifter mafia family. Um, that what was the most surprising thing you read about in Melania and me? That's a book I just can't. I it's can't, really well it written. Be Whoever the it, it could be the best in the world. I just can't. I'm too. I have too much male ego to be seen reading um, Melania and me. Her her c- persistent enthusiasm uh, of being on the inside, like, and then always getting like the wrong table, like you know what I mean. They always they they treat her like a servant, and she is, and not realizing she's a servant to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it. Feels like she's a friend when actually it's this sort of weird convenience for them to, you know, the mm-hmm. sad emptiness of these people's lives, social lives. I think is really sad. Um, it definitely uh, it describes a way of life in that New York scene that is very accurate. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. super, and and the she's this woman's obviously not stupid she did the met ball she's one of these sort of strivy new york ladies who is mm-hmm. in society who's a little smarter than the rest of the society ladies um and so it's 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 sad it's sad it's sad empty lives of getting your hair done and your face fixed and your you know what i mean like that, that i don't feel sad for mm-hmm. melania trump but and also that melania trump is obviously much smarter than any of us give her credit for. You know what I mean? Like her, her calculation is so, uh, and, and protection of herself and her son is really interesting. Anyway, that that's, and the, and the Michael Cohen one, which I'm sort of leafing through, um, you know, just, he's a muff. It's like, I'm reading this, you know, John Gotti's the guy who turned on John Gotti, whatever that guy's name was. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. completely accurate. He, you know, it's a completely, I mean, even though uh, what happens when a liar lies and then, and this one, the Woodward one obviously has the gravitas of Woodward, who, which he carries with him. I think what was sad about that is Trump thought he could sort of beat Woodward at his own game. Mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. all turned, they're turning on Lindsey Graham now, I guess Tucker Carlson outed Lindsey Graham as the person who pushed Trump to do it. Um, and, uh, and when you say I outed and Lindsey Graham, I expect I, something I'm different. I'm not talking about that. I have no idea if the man is gay or not. Um, oh, I'll believe the correct of you. And it doesn't I'm matter. I'm just saying, and it doesn't I feel matter. like outing in any form is wrong. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
so anyway, so it's it's just the whole thing. Yeah, you're right, but it does it does give Biden five more days every time, correct? So he can't really mount his other parts. I think. Look, I got to give it to the Biden people. I think they are strategically. I think they basically. I don't know if it was Obama or Hillary said, "Okay, here's the A team. Here's here's your head of strategy. Here's your head of communications." And we're going to hit them every week or every nine days on a cycle with the following. And this is how we're going to, you know, these are the things we're going to go. I think they've so far run a really strategic, thoughtful campaign. Mm -hmm. And even the stories around, I don't know if you saw in the latest news cycle, they were obviously pumping the stories that his fundraising is seriously lagging Trump's. And that indicates that's a quality cue, right? It indicates that, okay, that the campaign is not going well in America. America does, to a certain extent, vote with money. Mm-hmm. And it, it's an indicator. It's a lagging indicator yeah. of how the campaign is going. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what, what stops him. I just think he constantly bites when people attack him, which is really a good thing for the Biden mm-hmm. campaign. Um, and he, it, there's no strategy there. And therefore, they're just constantly putting out fires, which he likes. That's actually his pre- preferred way of behaving. Let's go to another story. Speaking of Trump, mm-hmm. uh, TikTok. It has this looming deadline of September 15th. Uh, as nothing's happened, I was talking to all the principals this weekend. I sort of ping them and they're all, they're all like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They're waiting for ByteDance to decide. I think as you, as you've said, ByteDance is sort of running out the clock, hoping to, that something will happen mm-hmm. along with the lawsuit. So I, I, I think we're right about this, Scott. I think we're correct. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I'm trying to think, I, I think the only people who are wasting more of their lives and the bankers working on this mm-hmm are the people who still commute down the 280 to go to work on Facebook's Libra coin. I'm <laughs> trying to imagine. That. Remember Libra coin? No, go ahead. I, I hope some people are listening on their commute. I just want you to know that when, you're, when your grandkids asked you what you were doing in the summer of 2020, you should say absolutely nothing. Yeah. Those, are, those are moments and efforts and history and months that I will never get back. And then I got transferred to the portal team such that I could have a millimeter of relevance in this world. I mean, uh, the Facebook portal product. I don't remember it, it, that. The bankers. The dating one. There's all these really interesting, comp- you know, different biases or cognitive biases. That, uh, I tweeted, I thought it was a genius and I'll find out who put it out. And I'm guilty of about 80% of them. But when I would bet that when the top bankers and the CEOs of Microsoft and Oracle, somebody approaches them about buying TikTok because they're involved, mm-hmm. they think that it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think Xi Jinping has absolutely no problem wasting their time. I think, you know, if you and I or somebody has an idea for a company to, for Microsoft to buy and you call Satya Nadella, you immediately think, do not waste this guy's time. If he gets a call, he assumes anyone on the other line is serious about selling that asset. I think the Chinese premier is like, yeah, I don't mind wasting their time. Yeah, Yeah, tell them we're serious. They're waiting the whole thing out. But again, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, they leaked that, oh, maybe in the next 24, as early yeah. as the next 24 hours, a, a well, suitor will be, there, there or the acquirer will be announced. 15th, which will coming. be, uh, you know, we'll see. But wasn't it extended by a court? I don't know if they got Didn't a they delay. get a delay? We'll find out. Didn't we'll find out. Anyway, um, speaking of uh, a related thing is that, is that these companies aren't as rich as they were. Uh, SoftBank reportedly the NASDAQ whale, Masasan is the NASDAQ whale, the company lost $12 billion in big tech bets. They would look like they were the ones pushing up these stocks, not just uh, us. Uh, it was it was it was SoftBank and others. What do you what, assess it very quickly? We've got to get to the big story. But what do you make of this Nasdaq whale situation? Well, first off, when we talk about the Nasdaq pullback, it's pulled back to where it was right, about yeah. two and a half weeks ago. 
I mean, it's not everyone. The media loves to say, oh, Tesla yeah. off 10%. So what? Yeah. Tesla's up 280% year to date. So the pullback is all, you know, it's all relative. The, the most fascinating thing about SoftBank being the NASDAQ well, and that is they purchased $4 billion in options, a kind of notional value or control of 30 to $50 billion of stock is not that the size of it or that they're controlling the market because they're actually, the real analysis shows they were less than 10% of options volume. It's it's that it might be an indicator of one of the most dangerous oh. smells that we really haven't, that hasn't been this stifling since 99 hubris. and that is hubris. And that is imagine- is that smell? What is hubris imagine smell? Imagine like? Jean <laughs> Well, it smells like a guy who made the most successful investment in the history of the private markets. He put $20 million into Alibaba and he got $100 billion back, believing that his corporation yeah. that is a telco is now in the business yeah. of trading options. So imagine imagine if Gina Rometty at IBM, it came out in an earnings call that she'd been playing the options market with $4 billion of IBM yeah, shareholders' money. And the question is, the people, the shareholders of, the shareholders of SoftBank the are probably thinking, Boss, yeah, I can play like options him, right? on this my own. This is like Masasan. He always does these kind of, like his, his the thing with the Saudis. Uh, there's a lesson here. And that is if you're in your parents' basement and you took that stimulus check and you levered up and you bought a bunch of Amazon and you bought a bunch of Tesla when you got your stimulus check three months ago and you've turned $1,200 into 7000 you need to realize it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And you need to be very careful starting to believe that you are yeah. good at this and you should start buying options. This ends Badly. And you have it You have it at one end of the spectrum with young men in their basement making really stupid financial moves that almost never work well in the long term. And then on the very other end, you have mm -hmm. supposedly the smartest guy in the room taking taking capital and playing the options yeah, but market. He's always making screw ups. Look at look at he's the WeWork Same guy. Thing, he's, the, he's the one that spent all the Saudi money. I'm amazed the Saudis haven't like dropped him in the ocean, like take him out and dropped him in the ocean. He he does this a lot. This is not this is like, I'm nothing you, fresh. I'm telling you, Masayoshi Summer going to find out on his deathbed that he that he was an agent of the Central Intelligence Agency who was charged with repatriating two decades worth of oil wealth back to the United States. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. On that note, on that strange, I don't know if it's oh offensive my. or not, Series but I'm going to stop you right there. Season nine. Season okay. Nine. All right. We're going to move on to big stories. All right. Apple versus Epic Battle. Epic yeah. being the Epic Games yeah. battle is escalating. Apple is countersuing the Fortnite video game maker. Apple argues that it's not just the custodian of its app store, but it nurtures its service through regular software updates, new features, and advertising. As a reminder, Epic is suing Apple for what it claims is monopolistic tactics of the app store. I mean, that neither is backing down. I had a little discussion with Epic recently. Um, and uh, what do you make of this? What What is the point of the countersuit here? They obviously are confident. You don't countersuit unless you're confident of something, or maybe you're not. Um, and what do you think about the brand? Funny, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, there's this great Gary Larson cartoon. This is a huge digression, but just bear with me. You know how that all cartoon right, where you. what you think your dog says, come here, Ginger, be a good girl. And all Ginger hears is blah, blah, yeah. blah, Ginger. The two things I have heard so mm -hmm. far in this podcast, and I have trouble focusing on what you say after, are nurture. I could use some nurturing right now and face getting your face <laughs> fixed. You can get your face fixed. So two things. I'd like to be nurtured, and I would like to have my face fixed. Who fixes faces? I'm mean, right around the corner from your anyway, house in New York. You can get Anyway, there. I'm in Boca right. Raton, even worse, Delray Beach. Oh. Um, okay, so back to Epic. Look, Apple has said, all right, it, it, the payments within 
It's the payment system that basically tries to do an end run around their taxation of their monopoly on the rails right. that they're like, no, 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 only we are allowed to do a payment system because right. that's how we control the ECHO system. Mm-hmm. And Epic has come in and said, well, what if we sell other apps within our app and take 8 to 12% instead of 30 the first year and 20 the second year? Mm-hmm. Isn't that competition? And it's highlighting a really interesting issue. And that is when you have a duopoly over the app economy and someone mm-hmm. pops up and says, we're not willing to pay this tax any longer. Right. It highlights this duopoly problem. And Apple is basically an app. I don't think I don't think there is a better communicator. As I think about it, the ultimate acrobatic move, sleight of hand, whatever you want to call it in communications, was Apple positioning itself as a worrier for privacy because it immediately depositioned Facebook and Google and there was nothing they could do about it. Mm-hmm. They have gotten off their heels and said, no, we're not a duopoly. We nurture companies and nurture. this is theft. Yeah. We nurture this ecosystem and you are stealing from us and it's other sort of apps. Like the single department store saying we do the advertising, we clean the store, we make the shelves full. Is that a good argument? Do you think it's bad for their mm-hmm. brand? Well, look, like I don't company think they're, store. they're like the company store. It, it, what it highlights is just, uh, again, what uh, Tim Wu at Columbia says, when you have two players and they control, and I would argue there's not even two players. It, it, for it's me, really it's Apple. not a choice. I, if I lose my phone, I'm not getting a Galaxy. I'm not getting Android. I'm getting iPhone because I need to signal to other people that I have good genes and I'm a storyteller and that I have wealth. And so really, iOS has a monopoly on the global wealthy. And yeah. then if you if you are increasingly the fastest growing part or one of the fastest growing parts of our economy is the app economy, and one company gets to... I mean, if you looked at every streaming video platform, every one of them, from Quibi to Apple TV Plus to Hulu, they all care pay between 4 and 12% of their revenues to Apple, yeah. even Netflix. Yeah. So the question well, is, well... they're being nurtured. It's for nurturing. Yeah, that's right. They're being nurtured. <laughs> yeah. That's the sweat off my forehead. How much would you yes. pay me to nurture you? I'm just curious. Oh, I pay you every week. You kidding? Are right. <laughs> you kidding? We are the 79th most downloaded podcast in Moldova. <laughs> The Moldovians oh, love us. God, I don't believe Seriously, you look at those charts. We're seventy nine Moldovia. In we're also case. big in the so UAE. What's going to be? With a, is it a good? Is it a good move to do this? Let me focus you on. And will you see other mm-hmm. apps following this trend? And we haven't even talked about Google, who's also uh, Fortnite also was kicked off the Google Play Store, but they're focusing all their attentions on Apple. So, what is the what is the brand impact of doing this, and especially if other apps follow suit? Yeah, I think Apple is handling this. I, I, Apple has no choice but to push back hard because. It's like if somebody, if there's if there's a rebellion in a small town outside of you know Glasgow, Scotland, the king's got to go up there and kick the shit out of everyone and kill their goats and hang a bunch of people kill and send goats? a message what? to the other the what other goats? There must be goats killed. I don't know goats. I don't, do they have the to do this? It's not. It's not the point. Is it going to have any impact on their brand, Mister well, Brand yeah, Expert? I need to understand. Yeah, whenever you have the little guy, Epic, and there's something kind of cool and youthful and epic positioning self as a little guy saying that we are not afraid of the big guy and they mm-hmm. kick the big guy in the nuts. Yeah, it makes it's a brand enhancing move for Epic and it makes Apple look like what they are, a monopoly. So it's not a good look, but Apple has no choice but to try and basically shut down this rebellion because they do not want other fiefdoms starting to get all confident and saying, well, we're going to build our own payment system within our apps. They have to send a strong signal. They have to draw on quarter epic here. And that's what they're going to try and do. It should end up, 
again, the app store needs to be regulated. It's yep. just, yep. I can understand I the argument against breaking Apple up because elegant antitrust maintains stakeholder value and yep. Apple has an amazing brand. It's not obvious how you would break yep. it up, but the app store needs to be regulated. And if you look at the fastest growing parts of our economy, yep. social, uh, tech, cloud, mm -hmm. e-commerce, in the fastest growing parts of our economy, there's very little diversity in the ecosystem and startups. What will we do? There can't be another store. Or could these people do it on their own? Then it's, you know, all hell breaks loose, right? Well, so, if you regulate them, maybe you take down the prices, maybe you allow payment systems, maybe yeah. you allow other apps or payment yeah. systems within right. certain apps. And where's Google? Google, where Google's sort of sitting quietly off to the sides. Yeah, so they're just staying they're, out of it. They're just yeah. staying out of it. Staying, but they'll be, be affected by this. They'll be affected like this nonetheless. All right. So we think think it's going to be good for the brand or bad? I still haven't gotten an answer out of you. Good. Yeah. Oh, no, it's bad for the brand. Bad. And, bad and if the others join. They have no choice. And if others join. Yeah, they have no choice but to, to play the play play hardball here and hit back hard. And it's it's going to make them look like the, look like the um, – um, the incumbents yeah. or the, you know, the, 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 what's the, they should do the like a flashy me, purchase of something like Peloton. Did you see Peloton has a new bike coming out with a swivel screen and everything else? Splashy. Splashy. Yeah. Peloton's almost become too expensive. Now Peloton's being, being valued at something like $30,000 per user. And it's hard to imagine a user results in $30,000. But anyways, um, we'll see Peloton. Apple. That's what you just mentioned. Peloton. They anyways, can do something ahead, sorry, over Peloton. here. We're doing something over here. All right, Scott, we're going to go to a quick break to talk yeah. about, uh, talk about the GOP introducing section Two Thirty legislation yep. and a listener mail question, which is about Chipotle. And we're back. Senate Republicans are introducing new legislation to amend Section 230. As a reminder, we talked about Section 230 a lot. Uh, legislation written in the 90s that says internet platforms do not have the same liabilities for content as publishers is to protect them and also allow them to do a lot of stuff we like. Um, the new Online Freedom and Viewpoint Diversity Act, which is probably the worst name I've ever heard, introduced by three GOP senators, including Lindsey Graham, not that there's anything wrong with that, would narrow online companies' legal protections when they remove user-posted material. Republicans have long accused Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms of abusing Section 230 to censor conservative views, which is so much cod swallow. Uh, President Trump signed an executive order in May that requests government review of Section 230, also an empty thing that he did. And the bill does not have any Democratic sponsors because it's stupid. Go ahead. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, so I, I believe 230, if not... Uh, we, we probably need something to take its place or it should be updated or it should be amended. Who is the really intelligent guy we spoke to about this? Who's kind of the 230 guru. Timu, right? We had him on the podcast. Oh, we we, oh, oh Mike, Mike, yeah, Mazik, Mike Mazik. There's a lot of people. Yeah. There's a guy, there's a number of really smart people on this topic and they have lots of ideas. Yes. And it just seems, it feels like this should be a bipartisan commission put together with really thoughtful people with representation from old media, new media, and these firms to say, all right, how do we update this legislation? Or, uh, it, But it, what's strange is they're both coming at it from different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. The Republicans obviously think that there's a conservative bias and every piece of evidence doesn't really indicate that there is a it conservative isn't. bias. They but never shut up. That's my policy. We need a policy to get them to shut <laughs> up, but go ahead. But what's difficult to really ascertain is, and this is the danger of Facebook, is we don't really know what's going on because while you can measure what are the most popular Facebook pages, you can't really measure the reach of certain types of content and you can't really measure the outcomes And because Facebook won't cooperate with academics around this. So we don't really know what's going on. The iceberg here isn't two thirds below the surface. The impact of Facebook is 98% below the surface, the surface being what we know about. 
And that's what's so frightening about it. And you just get the sense that the more we find out about the true impact of Facebook, the more we're going to kind of, the, the right. hair on our back is right. going to stand up, right? But the notion that that this legislation, you go in to try and fix the legislation to do away with some sort of conservative bias seems very strange. So the Democrats, they haven't, as far as I can tell, they haven't proposed that their legislation doesn't make a heck of a lot more sense. It feels like nothing's nothing. going to happen here until after the election. And we need some sort of thoughtful, thoughtful, you know, yeah. I don't know call it commission, commission or group that, that, yeah, that I agree. small because Something thoughtful and like cooperative and bipartisan because we know how important it is. I just don't think the Republicans will get off this 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 bandwagon, the, the Jim Jordan bandwagon of they're so badly treated online, but literally they don't shut up. They've got lots of places to, to talk about things. They're all over Twitter and Facebook and everything else. The heaviest users, as Kevin Roos has written many times, of Facebook are Republican points of view, uh, not, not even Republican, far to the to the right of most Republicans, I think. Um, and so I, I, it won't go anywhere. It's just a big show pony, really. It's a show pony. Show pony. I get it. Yeah. The show pony. It's a show. What are, what are they? What are they? What are they? Uh, the elephant. It's a show elephant. Show a shell elephant. A shell elephant. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and it just. And also, by the way, years ago, Lindsey Graham was talking something out the internet, and I, I think I tweeted something like, Lindsey Graham doesn't know how to turn on his cell phone. Mm -hmm. Like th these are people who. Have, oh, but Lindsey you know, can turn me on with that full head of hair and that stuff. southern you accent. Know, we don't talk about he's people a, like that. He's a spicy little <laughs> squirrel, that Southern Carolina. Oh my God! All Have right. you seen Southern Charm, by the way? Hope no. What's that? Oh, it's really funny. There's a woman on it who every day she has a butler, and she's like, "It's time for my medicine." It's a really cute show. Is it? It's the only reality TV Are I watch. What do you watch? Where do you do this? You're always watching weird shows. What do you? What do you? Why? Why? Well, I got to do something tonight. Why did you? Well, I have to have my hobbies. Southern Charm. My how did you? I don't find that charming. It sounds horrible. Oh, it's kind of cute. You know, Anyways, do you but, have yeah, any relatives I don't, I don't. in the South? I do. Uh, I have absolutely no, I have very few relatives, period, much less anyone in the South. Who do you have in the South? My entire family's from West Virginia. They are. And oh, that's right. They're yeah. cool people. No, no, no. I that's my that. grandpa. That's my They're other side parents. of the family. That's the Italians. They are cool yeah. people. The Italians are The West Got Virginia it. people are not. They are not. They are quite. Senator so, Graham. No, that's, Senator that's Graham. He, he's a little bit. It looks like he's a little bit of trouble down there uh, in uh, in that. Yeah, we'll I think see. they'll. I think they'll pull we'll through. So that would be. It. I think they'll probably pull through. It is interesting yeah, how you. many of them are in trouble, though. It looks like they're in quite a lot of trouble. Quite a lot of them from the numbers, um, especially in Arizona and Maine. Looks like Susan. We can't have Susan Collins to make fun of anymore. Which is oh, a God. will be a pleasure. Which will be a pleasure. All right, listener mail. We're going to yeah. go to a listener mail question for context, Scott. This question was inspired by Chipotle. Your favorite company has started a sustainable fashion brand <laughs> made from recycled. It's what you're getting for Christmas. Uh, sustainable fashion brand okay. made from recycled materials. Let's listen to the tape. You've got. You've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Hey, Scott and Kara. This is Marley Finnegan from Chicago. How can we as consumers push the fashion industry to better their practices to support environmental sustainability like Chipotle has been doing? As Scott has mentioned previously, resale fashion is on pace to outsell fast fashion in the coming years, and we can only hope that the pandemic has continued to accelerate this trend. Gen Z's biggest fear surrounds climate change, and they also make up over 40% of purchasing power. When do you think big tech like Amazon will recognize the need to address socially conscious consumerism in order to continue sustained growth with this important group of consumers? Thanks so much. 
That is an incredible. Wow. I did not know about the Chipotle brand. I know. The fashion brand. Did you know about no, that? No, I did not, but now we do. So here's the deal. This is a really interesting question because as you have pointed out, um, a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. clothing is really one of the biggest problems environmentally, like in terms of, of mm-hmm. gases, this and that. Um, we should probably just all be naked is probably one of the ways. But what do you think about this idea? Hmm. Does it have a real... Like I, 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 I don't know. I wear the same clothes since high school, so I feel good about my environmental sustainability fashion choices. Um, this is my son's. The T-shirt I'm wearing right now is one of my son's when he was eight. Um, so I feel good. But what, what do you think about this idea of making it a brand thing and it being important or trend things? Well, so there's a uh, there's a lot there. The reality is, when you buy a little black dress for nine ninety nine, if you were to do any real scrutiny around the supply chain, there'd be probably things you're uncomfortable with. And I was felt that CSR is a tiebreaker, that people, uh, the majority mm-hmm. of the market isn't willing to pay for it. And we always we always place on the upcoming generation greater expectations around their morality. And I find that every generation, for the most part, wants a Rolex and a house right. and you know an Audi. And that they, they do care more about the environment. And it, I, I don't even think of it as socially, being socially conscious. They just realize that when they go outside and San Francisco when it's orange yeah. out that okay yeah. something's wrong that we 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 probably need they are probably going to be around to incur the negative externalities of the world's arguably one of the world's greatest arbitrages in history and that is pulling shit out of the ground and putting externalities in the air such that we could create economic economic wealth just as we're arbitraging teen depression and all these things they 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 are kind of saying okay what is what is the negative externalities of all these arbitrages that baby boomers have gotten wealthy on and how do we address them? But in the fashion community, CSR is mostly a function of, I think it's an attribute that is sort of cool or in vogue. And I've always believed that the only way you really address this, the only way you really address this is through regulation because the moment a company really makes tangible change around supply chain and um, materials and energy use and carbon footprint, it's very expensive, and it de- it puts them in a less competitive position than someone who's willing to come along and take and not and not do those very expensive things and reinvest it in marketing or reinvest it in making cooler looking stores. So unless I think these companies, they'll do a little bit of it as marketing, but you can't ask them to disarm unilaterally. The government has to step in. You have to have regulation. So I don't. She. The question was, how do we make fashion more sustainable? Yeah, consumers. Consumers, I generally find there's consumer dissonance here, and that is they talk a big game, and then they mostly vote mm-hmm. with what is the cutest dress for the lowest price with their pocketbooks, that this requires thoughtful government regulation. And the problem is we've emasculated the EPA, the FDA. Right. We've decided the government is no longer worthy of investment. So these, these we're, we're in who pay, and the problem is there's a lag. It's just a, it all comes back to the same problem in America, and that is we have become so short-term, uh, such short-term thinkers, we don't say, well, okay, if you don't invest in sustainable technologies, if you don't invest in the EPA and regulations and tax companies right now and make it more difficult for them to spew shit in the air, you know, we're going to pay for it eventually. So, so do, but, but does this, these generations, I don't, I don't see my kids talking about it, but is the buying power, is it, is it something that the brands will use to like say, we are, you know, we're, we're collecting all these clothes it used to be collecting clothes and sending it to the third world, if you recall, like T-shirts all over yeah, the place. Tom's but the idea, yeah, that we're going to like, Tom's did pretty well and others. Is there is there like a plus? Because, you know, you saw, say, McDonald's all of a sudden saying, we're going to have healthy food. 
and then really, right? Is it just a branding exercise or more than that? Uh, it's mostly just it's it's mostly just branding. I mean, and Tom's quite frankly, Tom's has kind of come and gone. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, their shoes sucked. I remember being on the phone with someone at Tom's, and I said, you know, we're we're a culture of innovation. I'm like, your your shoes suck. What's innovative? It's it's, yeah. it's this flash in the pan CSR thing. And if you don't come up with interesting products like for distribution, product. it's it's um it's not it's it's not going to work. So look, I don't. I'm trying to think of uh, an example of a company. What do you? I want to know what you use. What do you use that's sustainable? I really don't buy clothes at all, but that's just because I'm weird. Um, but what 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 I do wear? I literally have clothes from high school that I continue to wear. I don't think of myself as a socially conscious consumer. I don't. Uh, I don't. I can't claim I that. I, I would like to be. I like to be more thoughtful about it. I had someone come over and offered him uh, 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 an espresso, and he said no. And and and. And he seemed kind of like taken aback by it. And I guess those pods are, and I know, I know a lot of people know this for a long time, are not very environmentally friendly. And I started reading about it. I'm like, oh, no, there's another thing I can't, that I love that I can't use more. But look, the thing that's going to drive, uh, re- the resale market is really exciting. The resale market by 2028 is supposed to be a bigger market than fast fashion. And yeah. if you look at the second wealthiest family in Europe, it's the family that owns Intertex or Zara. So the amount of wealth that's going to be created by resale is dramatic. And it's not... Okay, right. the, the free gift with purchase here is that it's obviously good for the environment, but the thing that's driving it is that this new generation doesn't have as much money for the first time as their parents did at their age, so they're fine or they're more open to the notion of saying, okay, I will wear previously worn, I will wear this really cute mm-hmm. top from free people that's been worn three times that I can buy for 40% of the price, whereas before people seemed freaked or sketched out by it. Yeah, well, the real, the real, real, and stuff like that. They had some troubles at the beginning of the pandemic. That was a growing business. It just added some people onto its board. Um, do you see that continuing? Those kind of things, because look what happened in the pandemic, right? When you say see these things continue, resale, resale, yeah, like the real, real. I know struggle oh, at the beginning be of the good. pandemic because resale's going to be huge. So you, oh yeah, what do you think of something like the real, real? And then we'll get on to predictions. Well, I, I, I like the real, real, and I love one of the things I love about the real, real, real is Julie Wainwright, who sat on top of one of the biggest kind of dot bombs and pets.com, has reinvented herself or is is on sitting yeah. on top of an interesting company. So I like I like her story. I think the real, real is interesting. I think it's a really neat service. I like the fact that it combines technology platforms and also humans. It's a really great. We I've had someone from the real real come over to uh, our house, and it's generally, it's almost to me, it's like the nice part of the gig economy. Uh, mm-hmm. the, it's generally it's generally women. It's generally women who need flexibility. I think they get paid yeah. a decent wage. I, they do. My mom's made ten thousand dollars from it. Yeah, and and so and it's selling It's clothes. an opportunity to monetize your closet. I think the 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 gig workers are paid actually fairly well. Um, I think they make you know. A lot more than minimum wage. So I like the company. I'm betting on them. I think, unfortunately, what ends up happening is this is playtime. And you might have a company like The Real Real. The Real Real needs to get acquired because the moment, yeah, I mean, for example, and I'm on the board of this company, full disclosure, but Urban Outfitters, with their brands, with their infrastructure, with their consumer base, when they get into resale as we are, I think that there's just huge advantages there. And then when Amazon yeah. or eBay. Or, Amazon. Or eBay, Amazon would be an interesting buyer for the real That's world. an interesting I agree. I agree. Because the one yep. place. She's an interesting. She, I did an interview with her. Were you there recently? You know, she's she's a pistol. Yeah. Uh, I've, done, I've known her for a long time. I covered pets.com. Would you and, call a man um, a pistol? I feel triggered. 
I feel triggered. <laughs> Did you say I feel triggered? I feel triggered. She is an actual pistol. Anyway, she is great. She's a really interesting uh, entrepreneur and has been through a yeah, lot. Agreed. Um, and not just pets.com, but before that had a lot of interesting early, she had one called real.com, I think. Anyway, um, R-E-E-L. Um, anyway, yeah, it's an interesting area. All right. This is fascinating. Thank you for that great question. And and I'm just got the Chipotle closer on their way to you right now. You know, now. you're just um, speaking of the, the real real that's going to make huge like be monster is what your kids use. And that's, I think it's called StockX. The, StockX, the yes. Oh, vintage yeah. shoes. On. Yep. I mean, that thing is, we that have, thing we should is have that like, CEO that on our show. Monster. We'll talk shoes. Yeah. That's yeah. a monster. I just bought another pair of shoes for my son. He has like 700 pairs of shoes. All right. One quick break and we'll be back for predictions. Okay, Scott, last week, we did big things for Shopify and Zoom. Uh, give us another prediction. Well, I just want to stick to Shopify. Uh, 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 something okay. in this is more of an idea. You love that shop. You love those Canadians. Oh, how can you not love Canadians? Seriously. It's like... I'm going to move to Canada soon well, enough. Soon it'll be to 90 Montreal. degrees. Uh, who wouldn't want to move to Canada? Yeah. I mean, literally, when you look at how poorly we've handled the pandemic, it's like we come up with all these excuses. And it's like, well, Canada has all that. And they seem to have managed it. But uh, the Alberta-based Shopify has about $114 billion market cap. And if you say, mm -hmm. for example, uh, I love the idea of being the Uncola. I'm fascinated. I'm writing a blog post for No Mercy No Mouth. Un Can you explain Uncola for people? Nobody remembers. Another reference, now that you're in night fever, go ahead. Bee Gees and night uh, Uncola. So the reason we're attracted to that exotic stranger, whether it's Sophia Loren or Omar Sharif or someone who doesn't look, feel, and smell exactly like the people we grew up with, is genetic diversity helps the next generation be more adaptable because it has skills and genes that are different than ours and also helps us avoid things like hemophilia and Tay-Sachs, because if you get two defective genes together, you get it, whereas you're less likely. So the symmetry of your facial, facial features, which supposedly indicate an ability to fight off infection and also a little, bit of, a little bit of diversity are things that, you know, we want to sleep with, we want to have sex with people that have symmetry around their face and come from a little bit of a different background. And that extends into our right. brand purchases. And about the moment everyone is wearing Nikes, you start thinking, okay, mm -hmm. I need to go with, I'm all of a sudden very attracted to Adidas. I need to start diversifying. Did you just say Adidas? Adidas. Adidasler was the founder Adidas. Adidas. All right. Okay. Anyways, uh, the dog can be pretentious. A little, pretty, little, little Eurohound. A little Eurohound coming out from the dog. Adidas. Anyways. Anyways, so, so, so. Nike. 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 Go ahead. One of these really interesting brand strategies is about the moment something becomes ubiquitous and a and there's no genetic variance in a category where all everyone does is mimic the leader and yeah. it begins to feel like the whole space is Docker. Somebody shows up and zigs to the zag or becomes the uncola. And the greatest uncola un in, <laughs> in of the last 10 years was Shopify. While everyone was trying to be more like Amazon, Shopify said, we're going to be the non-Amazon Amazon. Yeah. We're going to provide infrastructure and e-commerce and a platform, but we're going to let you keep your data. We're going to let you keep your packaging. We're going to let you have custody of the consumer. We're not going to make money off the data that is... Yankula. 
They're Mom. the uncle, and they built a $120 billion market cap company, which, by the way, is now, think about this, Shopify is worth more than Boeing and Ford Motor combined. So let's go shopping. I'm fascinated with this. What could they offer? What could they offer small and medium-sized commerce players? Well, you keep they saying they're going to buy FedEx or UPS, right? Okay, that was that's her. the exciting part. What if they said, all right, let's buy FedEx and let's buy Simon Properties, and we can offer every mm -hmm. small and medium-sized commerce player in the world a couple things. The second best last mile infrastructure in the world, probably second to Amazon, although FedEx would say they're number one. And and we could also offer the tens of thousands of small, medium, uh, small and medium-sized businesses that want to sell stuff, flexible, on-demand, dial-up, dial-down real estate uh, uh, retail, bricks and mortar, and the best real estate in the world. And I think that would literally be saying, okay, Amazon, we are coming for your ass. And they, if they acquired both those companies, Shopify would still own 60%. Well, now of, Simon is buying JCPenney, right, Simon? Yeah, that's a totally different talk show. That's a weird one. That is just that is just weird. And we'll come yeah. back to that because it's fascinating. All right. I really like Simon Roberts. Anyways, but think about how gangster this would be. Shopify X could say to the world of commerce, we'll give you the best last mile delivery in addition to all the infrastructure online, customer acquisition. And, and if you're... Nomad Surf Shop, where I just bought my son a surfboard for his 13th birthday here in Delray Beach, will give you some pop-up stores in 12 great markets. And instead of having to sign a 10-year lease, you can sign a 10-month lease. That would really be a coming mm -hmm. for Amazon to vertically integrate mm -hmm. up or down. Because another thing, verticalization, and I'm thinking academically because my brand strategy class kicks off in about 17 days and I'm totally By intimidated. By the way, Louis Swisher's still at NYU. Wrong you were. And actually, New York is about to open up restaurants, indoor dining, because they've been under 1% for 30 days. Just saying. Just saying. Well, I, I hope it I, I hope it works out. By the way, yeah. yeah by the by the way, for I'll I'll see you and up you the University of North Carolina, yeah. Notre agreed. Dame, the University of Alabama. Agreed, um, agreed. I'm just saying there's ways, but possibly, possibly a way. Maybe if smart Trump. All right, now you're taking the object, but to what end? Why are we risking the health of yes, these communities right. and then the communities we're gonna send these kids back to with super spreaders? You're right. Oh, these all these places are closing. It's just a matter of one. Louis will be back home before you know it. Anyways, anyways, and by the way, I'm going to be clear. The people at NYU. He's aren't, liking New York. It's awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. It's actually safer than good, Europe, good, weirdly enough, in terms of numbers. You totally triggered me. You took me off track. We were talking about, oh, <laughs> Shopify was a prediction. So the real like crazy thing here would be if Shopify, FedEx, and Simon all got together and said, Shopify said, okay, let's be honest. Our stock is overvalued. And FedEx said, let's be honest. These guys, it's going to be hard for us to make the infrastructure investments with capital that's four times as expensive as Amazon. And Simon said, I have the best real estate in the world, but let's be honest, it's real estate and retail is a total shit show right now. Let's create a true competitor infrastructure play yeah. to Amazon that's totally vertical around customer acquisition, technology infrastructure, last mile delivery, and the front end around bricks and mortar where 70% of commerce still takes place. I just, I'd like this, I, I think it would be a really bold, big, Big I like vision. your vision. It feels, vision. A it feels a little duckbill platypus, but okay, sure. Okay. Duckbill platypus. You Ooh, know, like one of those animals that's made of yeah. all the different Freakish, Frankenstein. Yeah, kind of thing. Frankenstein like that. But we'll see. I think that it's hard to work together like that. And Amazon's like the army that's just all together. It just moves. You know what? If the British, the Russians, and the Americans oh, can figure out a way God. to get along and turn back Hitler, we can all turn right, back sure. Amazon. And by the way, I am not equating you Amazon with did. Hitler. It's you a metaphor. It's a poor metaphor. You literally just no, I would No, no, no. I'll, I'll compare the president to Hitler in a very okay. direct way, but not all Amazon. Right. I'm comparing Amazon to the Axis right. power, not, okay. not to 
Yeah, you dig your way out of that one. All right, listen to me. That is a really interesting and smart idea. Have you consulted with them and you want to be on their board or what's the deal? No, I know the guys. I know the guys at Simon. They're really smart, thoughtful. Like, I like those guys a lot. And I don't know the guys at FedEx and I don't know the guy at uh, the guys at Shopify. I hear from them because they're on my email list. I'm just saying. Well, okay, because yeah, there true. are none. I mean, well, okay, who, who are the girls at Shopify for X or Simon? I'm just saying. I just wanted to point that out for our listeners to understand that persistent sexism exists in all these places. It's a fair Listen point. To me. Last question for you. Uh, what Your brand strategy thing starts when? This week? This week. So I have two I have two things coming up. I have 280 kids for brand strategy uh, in my marketing class at NYU starting uh, two weeks from uh, or some, I'm sorry, starting a week from Tuesday. And then I'm kicking off 500 kids in my online brand sprint uh, that I'm offering through Section 4, which is a three-week so course. So you have more on your own thing versus the university. I'm back and I'm freaking out. I got to come up with some thing new you're materials. Say? What's the first thing you're going to say besides boom? You mean the first yeah, kind what of lesson? Say? What's your first line to your students at NYU? Well, that the brand era is oh. over. You yeah, say it like that because that's moved. like dull online. Like, what's your thing? Is it the costume? Yeah, the brand here is dull. Please take the this. The brand here is over. Please. What's welcome. your line? I want to hear your line. Um, no, I, I always start off. I always start off with the same opening line. I call on someone and I say, "What is brand?" Oh. And I just point at someone and get them talking. Okay. And you got to. And your your son asked. Um, about how do you stay online? How do you stay engaged yeah. online on the other end? And I, I thought a little bit about it. One is I find if I'm listening on a Zoom call, I try and write things down. Otherwise, I just yeah. lo- lose interest. I, when I hear an interesting point, I write it down. But you, with Zoom and now, it just generally as my class have gotten bigger, you got to call on people. Yeah. If there's not the fear of accountability, they don't pay attention. And I shame oh. them. And when they come up with something stupid, I say that's stupid. I'm going to. I was hoping for costumes again. I was hoping Otherwise, for a costume change or something like that. They don't pay attention. Gallery, just to, you know. No, I play cool you? DJ music. Oh, you no, two can yeah. come experience the wonder of the dog for only $7,000 for three oh, credits. You know, what a great deal. played me all what early hip hop uh, and, and rap last night. All of it. I did know some of it, which was good. I, I raised. You are all over the place today. Your brain is firing every, every which way. way. Every uh, way. Really. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of different interviews for Sway. Um, so I've got, I've got to know about a lot of things, which is going to be different because I do. So by the way, the fact that you're not out there, um, uh, hoovering up all the good guests, the dog is slipping in when you're not, without a podcast. I've had Julian Castro. I had Judd Apatow I can get them. Go ahead. Who else? Well, I know now the dog's got them. Now I'm literally like, okay, well, she's not here. I'm going to feed. I'm going to feed. Where do you see who I got? Okay. Julian Castro. Okay. That was yeah, a, yeah. Okay. Judd Apatow, he's a very thoughtful he's guy, He's great. Too. He's a great guy. He's really have you seen The King of Staten Island? I just want I to have. My his- son made me watch it, yes. And what did you think? I, I, I don't love Pete Davidson, but I thought the movie was great. I thought, the, especially the guy who's the boyfriend of the mother. I love the Marissa Tanay. Yeah, I like her, too. She's fantastic. She's, she's Gosh, so she's undersung she's, as an actress, and she's, oh, she's, she's so covered. raw. She's so scorchingly hot. She, that, um, too. But she's also very, like, you can feel her her insecurity. She's really a good actress. She's always been a good actress. She was fantastic in The Wrestler. She and the was guy, fantastic. I don't remember his name, who played her boyfriend, the firefighter, I thought was great. There were a lot of great character yeah. actors in that movie. But he's, he's, he's really interesting. He, he do, he's done some great things for Hollywood. He does films that, relatively speaking, are lower budget, and he's really into discovering new talent. Like he doesn't do films with uh, Judd oh, Apatow. Yes. He, doesn't, he believes in finding, he has. introducing the world he to has. new talent. He's, a, he's super talented. Yeah, I think he was in a bit of a, like, doing his 
same old, same old. He always knew what his movie was. And then he sort of, it's hard because he, you know, he has a formula that works. Freaks and geeks. I mean, he's done some interesting stuff. Yeah, he's very really interesting stuff. Um, all right, Scott, before we head out, a big part of what makes our show special Kara. is you, our listeners, not you, Scott Galloway. That's why we'd like your help to plan our future by filling out uh, a short survey. Scott will not listen to you, but I certainly will. Your responses will help us understand who's listening, how are your listening mm-hmm. habits have changed in the past few months, and hopefully mm-hmm. how we can reach even more people. Go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey. That's voxmedia.com slash pod survey. you fill it out, Scott? Tell me what you think of the show. 100%. 100%. All right. Um, right. We're bringing sexy back. That's my only comment. Okay, today's show. Oh my God, that's another song. That's another. <laughs> that's oh that's a rap song. All right, Justin Timberlake, start that to start talented. to read the. Quiz. That guy's talented. <laughs> he is indeed. He is yes, another person who doesn't seem talented, but very is. talented. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Fernando Finate engineered this episode. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. And special thanks to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Mm-hmm.